I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, I'm talking about faith and science and how as a Catholic, you can believe in both. Woo! I have a friend named Oxygen. He just went on a date with this girl named Potassium, and he said it was okay. There's a science joke for you on this episode. Welcome, friends. Um, I don't exactly know what number episode this is going to be because I'm kind of not recording it in a particular order, but this has been a often requested episode, and it is a topic I'm very passionate about, so I wanted to record it, and it will get out to you at some point and so we'll see how it falls in the schedule so i'm gonna give you my peak pit and plug but recognize this may come at a later time and so it may no longer be relevant but um we are in the midst of this you know coronavirus pandemic right now and i don't think whenever this comes out we'll be out of it so it won't be like that far out of order but um my peak at the moment is that my family and I are good. We're healthy. We are blessed. God is providing. And um, we're just trying to spend every day having moments of gratitude to remember that because he really is just showing up in big ways for us. And so, um, yeah, that's just been really beautiful. Uh, my pit is that I'm in pain today. And every time, I don't know if it's anxiety or stress of like finding everything, but I leave the house probably like once a week right now to run errands. And when I go out, I'm fine. You know, I don't really have any anxiety being out or anything like that, even if I'm near people. But when I get home and like putting everything away and making sure everything's cleaned up and that Hannah doesn't get her hands in anything, I get this like pain in my like, I don't know, it feels like where an organ is, like a spleen or something. I don't know, but it's like a stretching or like a tightening pain or it feels like if I stretch a certain way, like it's something's going to like not something's gonna pop but you know that feeling when your knee is is about to pop and you just like don't want to straighten your leg all the way I get that but in my like stomach to the side of it so yeah I don't know that's really bizarre so it's not like doctor bells going off in my head but it's like oh that's you know that's not fun so anyways um and then my plug is um I'm reading or I just finished a book called Sober Intoxication of the Spirit by Renero Cantalamesa. He is the papal preacher um, for the last three popes. And um, I mean, if you're preaching for the popes, you got to be pretty legit. So um, that book is one of the best books I've ever read in general. And one of the best books I've ever read on the Holy Spirit, if not the best Catholic book I've ever read on the Holy Spirit. So uh, yeah, you should go pick that up in bookstores and Amazon warehouses near you. Um, so today, what are we talking about? We're talking about faith and science. Now, I know this doesn't have much to do with this current situation, but it's been often requested and it just keeps popping up in little ways here and there. And so I don't know if you've heard anything like this during in the midst of this pandemic, but like, you know, uh, your, your thoughts and prayers don't work like we need to rely on science or, uh, you know, people kind of talking about mass gatherings and things that are essential and unessential and kind of some more secular or anti-religious people saying things like, hey, we've been a lot better since we haven't had church and church isn't that essential or religion must not be that essential or, you know, things like that. Um, or maybe even using like uh, atheists using kind of a fundamentalist approach to 
characterizing God, saying like, well, if God is real, he certainly doesn't like religious people because, you know, of, of all of our churches having to shut down, things like that. I've seen little things here and there popping up and just kind of this this recurring idea that it is in our culture that when you are religious, you kind of have to give your mind away or that you have to learn how to just like accept some things that seem untrue or wildly, you know, unscientific. And that is not the case at all, at least not for Catholics. I could understand, uh, and I do understand that perspective in our country because our country is one that is predominantly, um, you know, the predominant Christian narrative is one of like non-denominational Christianity or like fundamentalist Christians where they have a very literal interpretation of the Bible. Um, you know, Catholics are a, um, a religious minority in terms of Christianity in this country. I think about 21%, 21 to 25% of the country is Catholic. And that's just who identifies Catholic, whether they are practicing or not, you know, that's a different story. So it's not the predominant Christian narrative. And so uh, when I hear stuff like that, I try and remember like, okay, like this isn't a direct attack at Catholicism, but there is some overlap there. They, could, they kind of, you know, blanketly assume that everyone who believes in God is moronic or has uh, is not as intelligent as people who have kind of ascended to atheism and so um, or some form of scientism. Um, so anyways, um, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this. And, um, you know, criticism, that criticism is one that um, that we need to to hear and to address from a Catholic point of view, because our Catholicism does not like have to it causes us to set things aside in terms of our intelligence, in terms of our understanding. And so, um, like, if you look at something like the senses of scripture, you know, in Catholicism, we interpret scripture in a multitude of layers, and we believe there are four senses of scripture. And so, um, let's take, for instance, a story that is often brought up in this debate about faith and science, and that is the creation stories. Uh, in Genesis 1 and 2. For instance, Genesis 1 says that the earth was created in six days. Now, if you're reading that as someone who is having a very fundamentalist interpretation of the Bible, then you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, literally then this means that the world was created in six days, 24-hour days. Now, there's a problem with that, and there's a reason why we don't do that as Catholics, because it doesn't honor a scientific approach to the text. And so we don't only look to scripture for matters of faith, but we want to get down to, okay, what did this really mean? What genre of literature is this? Who wrote it? Why did they write it? When did they write it? As best we can tell. What's the purpose? What's being communicated here about God and about humanity and our relationship to one another? And so, you know, if you look at that text in its original context and original language, you'll know that in Hebrew, the word, wow, my voice just cracked. That was weird. In Hebrew, the word for day is heos, which means a period of time. It doesn't mean 24 hours. And so a period of time could be 13 billion years. It could be several hundred thousand years. It could be a 24-hour day. We don't really know. There is a word for a day in that sense, like chronological time, but the, that word is not used here. And so 
Um, and then if you look more closely at the creation story, we'll see that the way that we determine a 24-hour day, the sun and the moon, those things are not even created until like the fourth day. And so we can't have a modern interpretation, and we also can't just assume that the English literature, English literal version is exactly what happened. Because remember, we're reading a translation of some things that were, you know, anachronistic to the time or were slang terms or colloquialisms. Uh, there's a, a famous example that's used by, um, by a speaker that I listen to, Trent Horn, and he always talks about um, the phrase, uh, God is slow to anger in scripture. Now that phrase isn't translated, um, it doesn't mean slow to anger in Hebrew. The phrase actually in Hebrew is that God is long of nose. Now, how did we get slow to anger from that? Well, the expression historically means that if someone is long of nose, that means they're older, first of all, because your nose and your ears never stop growing your entire life. And if they're older, that means they're probably wiser and they've learned more on how to control their temper, on how to deal with anger. And so God, who is the oldest and wisest of all of us, would be the longest of nose in that sense or the slowest to anger. You see, so there, there's a lot of work over 2,000 years that has happened in trying to translate, transliterate, and kind of transcommunicate what was originally meant in the original context of the biblical writings that form the Bible. And to remember that the Bible was written over the span of 1,600 years uh, by over 100 different authors, uh, potentially. And so, like, the, there's so many different voices and styles and genres, and all, they weren't writing. They didn't all get together and were like, hey, gang, let's make a Bible. They were like, no, we were writing, uh, you know, a book of prophecy for this group of people. And the Hebrew people assembled their book into the Old Testament. And then we have the teachings of Christ and the early church writings that assembled into the New Testament. And they weren't put together until the end of the fourth century. And so, um, I don't know why it went off on that diatribe about the Bible, but for instance, like we have to recognize what the Bible is, what it means to look to it as a primary source of our revelation from God, and that we can't do that in an unscientific way. And as Catholics, we benefit from using a scientific approach to get a context that jives with what we understand about faith and science. And so, for instance, the Big Bang Theory there's nothing against believing in the Big Bang Theory as a Catholic. You don't have to believe that God suddenly created um, in a different way. Like, you can, you can believe that God instrumented the Big Bang Theory and was intimately involved in the inner workings of evolution. You can also believe in evolution as a Catholic uh, all the way up until our present moment and continues to be intimately involved with sustaining and growing and loving creation. So we don't believe that God is just some distant person who just kind of snapped his fingers and the Big Bang happened and then he waited around for 13 to 14 billion years and just let things kind of go on their own. No, we believe that he is sustaining creation at every moment. And so he is intimately involved. However, we recognize like something like the Big Bang Theory that whether you believe in it or not, the Big Bang cannot Big Bang itself. You know, you don't go from nothing to something just by accident. And so there's a common theory in um, astrophysics and in the, the world of uh, the studies of the beginnings of our universe that is widely accepted, and that is called the BVG theorem. It's the borg vilenkin and Guth theorem about the origins of our universe. And basically it says 
that if the average expansion rate of a universe is greater than zero, meaning, you know, whether it's expanding, retracting, expanding, retracting, if on average it is expanding at a positive rate, which our universe is by every measurement that's ever been taken, um, our universe is expanding. There are some times where it appears to be retracting, and some of that has to do with how we see red and blue light, how um, measurements are made, but also to recognize um, that we don't understand a lot about things like dark matter and dark energy and how that might repel things away from uh, each other or attract things in a different way than we're used to. And so all that science you talk aside to say, our universe is still expanding at an average rate greater than zero, and if that is true, this theorem, based on different proofs that it had um, arrived at, says that there has to be a beginning to that universe. Now, if our universe has a beginning, and that is a widely accepted scientific fact, you will hear about theoretical explanations that have to do with multiverses and M-theory and string theory and, you know, uh, eternal universes and things like that. None of those really disprove this because they can't really be proven. They're theories at the moment. Um, and yes, you can use the term theory, like the theory of relativity in science, to talk about a proof, but um, none of these things are able to really be proven or experimented upon. Um, so it's, it's just something, you know, to keep in mind. Um, however, everything we can observe about our universe shows that it expanded from one central cataclysmic event, which we call the Big Bang Theory, and that in our universe, there, as a result, there is an equal amount of radiation from that initial blast. So what does that mean? That there wasn't, you know, other bubble universe things going on and other explosions here and there. And it was all this. It was one cataclysmic event that sent everything expanding in every single direction. And in the midst of that, over time, our universe was born. And so we also uh, don't necessarily believe scientifically that the this is just one of several explosions and retractions of our universe because there would be much more radiation um, and much more entropy in our universe. Now, entropy basically is the result of energy being burned. And when you have a massive explosion, a lot of energy is burned. However, we somehow ended up in a low entropy universe. And why that's important is because life could not exist in the way that it does if that was not the case. Um, and so this may be super scientific for you and maybe not your, your realm. I'm not going to get super in-depth when it comes to these things. All that to say, when we look at the origins of the universe, when we look at how to approach what the Bible says about that in this one little instance, we can use as Catholics a scientific approach to recognize that it does not contradict our faith. Now, why is all of this important to understand? It's important to understand because... If we ask questions about the universe honestly and openly, they will all lead in the same direction because we simply ask why. Why did this happen? Science, when science is done well, honestly, and done in the right way, science will ask, why is this observable thing the way that it is? Faith simply does the same thing but says, why is this inobservable thing the way that it is? And so 
there are moments when those things coalesce, when they come together, say in the person of Jesus, there is scientific, reputable, historical information that we have about a historical man named Jesus. But there's also an invisible reality that he was the son of God and was said to perform miracles that could not be measured now with experiments or anything like that. And so those two come together. However, they do not need to contradict one another because they're asking different questions and they're observing different things. So science can only observe what is tangible, what is visible, what um, is, is, you know, you can put in your hands and you can do an experiment with. Faith deals in the completely other realm of things that are intangible and unexplainable. And so these things can sit side by side very comfortably in Catholic tradition. And so, for instance, science, it uses like experiments, laws, and evidence um, to answer that question of why. Why are things the way that they are uh, based on what we can see? But faith, these, those things can't be repeated in a lab. They deal outside of time, space, and matter. Um, I feel like I just said that. So if you want to learn more about this in terms of the catechism, um, go and read Catechism Paragraphs 279 to 301. There's only 12 paragraphs in that section. And you'll read a lot about the church's relationship with science and faith, uh, especially as it applies to the origins of our universe, because I think that and miracles, I think, are the two things that most often come up in this debate. And then, you know, if someone is like a very secular atheist or a scientist and an atheist at the same time, they might throw in like, well, God allows suffering and so he can't exist because he's a jerk. You know, they'll throw in some philosophical questions in there too. But if you can go to the base level argument about, you know, what is science, what can science do and what can science not do, and then also show how the Catholic Church not only doesn't disprove or have a distaste for science as a discipline, that it actually utilizes science in the way that we interpret scripture, in the way that we look at the universe, in the fact that we know that God is a God of all creation. And if we look, you know, honestly at creation and study it, we will find God. And so, yes, of course, we want to do that as Catholics. That's an awesome thing uh, to know. And so um, part of that section in the Catechism, uh, 279 to 301, we read this in paragraph 283. The question about the origins of the world and of man has been the object of many scientific studies which have splendidly enriched our knowledge of the age and dimensions of the cosmos, the development of life forms, and the appearance of man. These discoveries invite us to even greater admiration for the greatness of the Creator, prompting us to give Him thanks for all His works and for the understanding and wisdom He gives to scholars and researchers." So as a Catholic, we don't look at any scientific study and say, oh, this is an attack from the devil. Usually, if it's done well, if it's done reputably, and it actually proves something about creation, we would look at that study and say, yeah, praise God, God made that, that's beautiful. Uh, and there'd be nothing in that article or that study or whatever it may be to contradict the fact that there is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present being in our universe that created us and that governs all existence. Um, science cannot disprove that. And science will never be able to prove that because of the realm that it studies, the physical and the tangible. So, um, for instance, Big Bang Theory, uh, it was developed first by a Catholic priest. This is more of a well-known fact now, but it didn't used to be. Um, but Father George Lemaitre, he was, um, he was a priest. I think he was a Belgian priest. Uh, he first proposed this to Einstein. Einstein did not um, go for it at first. I think he had to be convinced. Um, but eventually it became the predominant um, worldview, and then other names got attached to it, and then other scientific studies, um, and that became the name for it, the Big Bang Theory. Um, we have people in the church, uh, church's history like Gregor Mendel, who was the father of modern genetics, and he was, I think, an Augustinian monk. 
um, you know, many, many different people throughout the course of history, none of whom are coming to mind, but you can look, if you just look up Catholic scientists, you know, I think there are a whole institutions you can belong to, whole orders um, in the modern era, but also all throughout history of, you know, great philosophers and scientists and astronomers and, you know, people who are well-respected, names you study in scientific textbooks, who are not um, suddenly not reputable because they were people of faith. Um, but that was just something that they recognized. Another awesome thing that the Catholic Church has done throughout history is they have uh, pioneered and championed the sciences. Um, there may have been bumps and misunderstandings along the way. Uh, you'll find those in church history. But they always, we always as a church pursued the truth and then corrected error when it was discovered. Um, the church <clears throat> helped to develop the scientific method, the laws of evidence, the university system that we know today. I think the church still educates like, I don't know, like 20 or 20 percent of students like in the world, um, both in like, you know, primary schools, high schools, you know, private Catholic institutions and colleges. Um, all of that was developed to further learning of the scientific and observable world, because we believe, I think one of the saints uh, once said, um, if if the Bible had never been written, nature would be our primary evangelist. And so we want to look at the world around us because in the world around us, we can encounter God in a very powerful way. These two things go together. They do not contradict. And so whenever you ask the question, why, recognize that God is always going to lie in that final answer. If you uh, assess and answer that question honestly, uh, and recognize there might be two ways in which you can find resources or answers to that question. The tangible, the scientific, that which we can know and study in a lab for sure based on the laws of evidence. And then the uh, those that have to do with faith. That don't mean that they don't have evidence, but the evidence might be more philosophical, logical, might appeal to a different form of reason that science really does not deal with. Science deals with concrete, observable facts that can be repeated in experiments in a lab. Faith can deal with observable facts, but in patterns of behavior, in logic, and things that we know to be true and not to be true about our universe and who we are as people in our ontology um, and just how the world is. And so recognize that, that these two things are not in contrary um, to one another. And if someone criticizes the church um, for saying that it's not scientific, you know, you can tell them about the Big Bang Theory, you can tell them about our approach to scripture, or you can ask them, well, what do you mean by that? Give me an example of an unscientific thing that we believe as religious people. And they might bring up, well, you believe that God exists and be like, well, how has science ever disproved that? And how could science ever disprove that? And how does me believing that cause me to have to set aside anything that has been scientifically discovered. And I think what you'll find is that people often have misconceptions about Christianity. They've made a caricature of it, a very unscientific one, or they're talking about some other approach to Christianity or biblical interpretation that does not really at all apply to Catholicism. And so that is what I offer you. I could talk so much more about this and get into the science and the statistics, um, but I'll leave you with some of these stats. If you know, if you aren't a math and science person that you can just ignore me for the next minute. Um, but if you are, I think this will really blow your mind. So someone named Sir, I think it was Sir Albert Penrose or Robert Penrose, Sir Penrose, uh, once calculated, as I mentioned before, what is the statistical likelihood that we, out of a cataclysmic event like the Big Bang Theory, would end up in a low entropy universe? And the statistical likelihood was 1 in 10 to the 10 to the 123rd power. That is a double exponent. That is such a massive number 
that if you were to have a dime for every integer in that number, and then you would color one of them red in order to find that statistical likelihood, all those dimes would not fit into our entire universe. There are only 10 to the 80 particles in our universe. That's how massive a number that is. And then beyond that, I saw another scientific study recently where someone had calculated the statistical likelihood that you as an individual exist. And they looked at the human genome. They looked at the uh, rate in which eggs are fertilized, um, all these different scientific means for life. And they calculated the statistical likelihood that you exist, you personally, individually, is 1 in 10 to the 2,865,000, actually it might have been 685,000, but regardless, that is still one of the most massive numbers possible. And again, that number, I mean, if that first number I gave you doesn't fit in our universe, that blows beyond our universe. And so um, this is not an accident. If you want to learn more about this, you can uh, look into the research and presentations of Father Robert Spitzer, who is a Jesuit priest who has a PhD, I think, in astrophysics, and he, you know, is a uh, a priest, so he has a master's of divinity and degrees in theology and philosophy. Uh, he used to teach or um, was, you know, the president, I think, of Gonzaga University, and he has uh, something called the Magis Center or the Magis Institute um, that you can look up, and he has tons of presentations on these myths, especially like scientific proofs for the existence of God, and looking at different uh, constants in our universe, and how if you altered them even a tiny bit in either direction, life could not exist. And there are 21 different constants that we know of currently in our universe, Um four of which are forces like electromagnetism, gravity, the strong weak, uh, nuclear force and the weak nuclear force uh, that you may have commonly heard about if you are interested in science at all. Um, and he d dives into those and just what is the likelihood that all this happened by accident? Uh, newsflash, not likely. And so um, if the current prevailing theory, the BVG theorem says that our universe had a beginning, um, the Big Bang could not bang itself, and so that beginning had to have a beginner. We call that the metaphysical premise, that once physical reality started, if it started from nothing and went to something, then something outside of physical reality and outside of the laws of matter had to act in order for those laws to be created and for life to exist in the first place. So look up those things, the BVG theorem, the metaphysical premise, um, Magis Center with Father Robert Spitzer, um, the... Um, universal constants, things like that, and you will find a whole world of evidence that our universe is ordered, it is scientifically ordered, and the odds that it would fall into place by accident actually, I think, in my opinion, take more faith to believe in than it does to believe that God exists and revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and so I leave you with that, and I leave you with an amazing saint um, that you can ask for the intercession of. If you're interested, if you're a sciencey person or you want to know more about it, or you feel like you commonly hear these objections a lot and you don't know what to say, um, ask this inter the, the intercession of this particular saint to always help you ask why, and not just to know the answer, but to find the reasons behind these things beyond the answer because we know who lies behind the answer and that is God himself and we want to share that with others. And so someone who was a scholar and who is a patron of many of these different fields of science that touch on what we've talked about is a saint that you may not have heard of, but his name is Saint Albert Magnus the Great.
He was born uh, before 1200, somewhere before 1200. We don't know his birthday exactly, but he died November 15th, 1280. And we know when he died, he was over 80. So, but they just, for some reason, don't have his birth record. Um, he was a scientist. Uh, he was believed to have discovered the element arsenic. Um, his feast is November 15th, the day that he died. He is the patron saint of natural sciences, scientists, students, philosophers, technologists, and technicians. He himself was a scientist, a philosopher, an astrologer. A An astrologer then meant something different than it does now. So he didn't do horoscopes and things that we're not supposed to do according to church teaching. But um, he was a theologian, a spiritual writer, an ecumenist, meaning he did a lot of interreligious dialogue. Um, and he was a diplomat. He helped settle different uh, civil disputes in the regions where he was assigned. He is considered the greatest German philosopher and theologian of the Middle Ages, and he is one of the 36 doctors of the church, saints that contributed to our theology so profoundly that they are given the special title of doctor of the church. Um, but even though we don't know much about his birth, we know that he was born um, or at least lived in his, his early life in Bavaria, which is in southern Germany. Um he was educated at the University of Padua, and that was where he was exposed to the philosopher Aristotle, and he was the first person to comment on nearly all of Aristotle's writings. Uh, he had a vision of Mary and was convinced to answer the call to the priesthood as a young man. And so he joined the Dominicans, who um, have that charism for preaching, and he lived that out in further study. He became a lecturer. He was the first ever German Dominican to receive a Master of Theology title. Um, in, Ger in Germany, your degree is like your title. So I think like uh, you, they call you like Master Doctor Professor or something when you have a PhD in Germany. It's pretty dope. Um, anyways, so he taught at the University of Paris. He was the chair of theology there. And someone you may have heard of studied under him while he was the chair of theology, a little-known saint called St. Thomas Aquinas. What? Yes, we would not have Thomas Aquinas without this great saint, St. Albert Magnus. Um, and so St. Albert, he became a bishop of uh, Regensburg, which is in Bavaria, in 1260 when he was probably somewhere in his 60s, like his retirement age in modern year in modern terms. But he ended up resigning as bishop after three years. Um, he just couldn't really deal with that. Um, he liked lecturing, and there was just a lot of civil disputes. This was at a time when feudalism was big in the church. There was kind of like a church state, and the church had a lot of property and estates, and so it was involved in a lot of like civil and political things as well. And um, I just get the sense that he really didn't like that. And so um, he really um, became instrumental in preaching and resolving conflicts between citizens and the church hierarchy during this time um, of feudalism, the time of the Crusades, the time of this kind of, um, um, what's the word? Um, I don't know, spicy political climate. Um, sure. Um, and then in uh, 1278, his health began to deteriorate. He died two years later in 1280. Um, his body was discovered to be incorrupt when it was exhumed three years after his death. Um, but, at, but then when he was exhumed again in 1483, only a skeleton remained. So it's interesting that his body would be incorrupt, like it did not decay that close to his death, meaning probably like uh, a devotion, like God wanted devotion to this saint and his approach and the things that he was valuing at that time. And then maybe, you know, didn't need that purpose later on. You know, we don't really know why God allows certain saints to be incorrupt for as long as they are or, you know, in general. And so I find that I haven't heard many stories of that where a saint appears incorrupt at first, 
um, and there's evidence of that, and then they bury them again, and then when they, you know, uh, exhume them again, then they're not. And it could be because his body was meant to be revered, and because it wasn't, then God allowed it to continue to decay. One of those faith science mysteries we will not know. Um, but in 1899, uh, his writings were collected into 38 volumes, uh, and they displayed his habits and his prolific knowledge and encyclopedic knowledge of topics uh, such as logic, theology, botany, geography, astronomy, astrology, mineralogy, alchemy, zoology, physiology, phrenology, I think that's the study of kidneys, um, justice, law, friendship, and love. Um, he was mainly philosophical rather than theological, uh, and he basically invented the discipline of mineralogy, the study of minerals and rocks. Uh, I think that's part of how he ended up discovering that element arsenic. Um, so at the time, because of that, a lot of uh, people who were intimidated by his knowledge or the things that he was uh, learning about or sharing, they accused him of alchemy and, and being a magician. Um, you know, like kind of that old, like, um, she's a witch, you know, um, he got accused of stuff like that. Um, here's a quote that um, he said, natural science does not consist in ratifying what others have said, but in seeking the causes of phenomena. So in other words, we don't do science and we don't do faith at the same time, just to reiterate what other people have done. We do it because we want to ask the question, why? We want to know what's behind it. And so recognize that when you have that approach, faith and science actually work as a brother and sister. They work as a pair. They support one another. Uh, they intertwine beautifully in our Catholic tradition. And they both point ultimately to the answer of all of our desires for love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty in the Lord, in God himself who revealed himself as Jesus Christ in history and sent his Holy Spirit to guide the church that he started, which has, throughout history, sponsored and continues to sponsor and support many scientific efforts so we can understand the world around us, which was created by God, and we get closer to him the more we know about it. My brothers and sisters, I hope that was beneficial to you. I'm glad it was a shorter episode because I probably could have nerded out even more. And if your head's spinning, there is so much more out there uh, in this realm of science and, and theology coming together. So if you want recommendations beyond those that I gave, uh, please let me know. And if there's anything that didn't make sense, uh, let us know and I can do a follow-up episode. But we hope this episode was beneficial to you. Please share it with someone you think might benefit. Rate and review this podcast. And as always, the highest compliment you can pay to us is to share this this, this uh, podcast on social media, uh, on the internet, get it, helping drive more traffic to it uh, so that we can continue to serve more people. Um, we just want to keep doing this as long as God wants us to, and we want it to serve him and serve you as you seek to uh, live out your Catholic faith in an inspiring and uh, revolutionary way. And the second it no longer becomes useful for that, we'll stop doing it. But um, if you'd like to support us as this continues to be something we feel that we're called to do and you want to do that financially, you can do that on Patreon. Go to our website at manafoodforthought.com. Click on the Patreon tab and you can support us financially for as little as a dollar a month. And you get perks, you know, some perks with that. Um, anyways, God bless you all. We're praying for you. And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm.